Looking for your next TV show or movie to binge? Well, buckle up, grab the remote, and settle into your couch for this special edition of Crossing the Streams. We're here to help you tune in and get the most out of those 50 monthly streaming channels you're currently paying for. So without any further ado, here's your host of Crossing the Streams, Jeff Dwoskin. Heyo, Jeff Dwoskin here, your host from Classic Conversations, bringing you a bonus episode focused on our live show, Crossing the Streams, where we answer the universal question, what should I be binging now? I just finished something, now I gotta watch something else. Well, if this is what weighs on your mind, you've come to the right place. All the bonus episodes are chock full of amazing binge-watching suggestions. You can also head over to our YouTube channel, where we have over 80 hours of TV binge-watching suggestions awaiting you. But right now, you're in the right place. You don't have to go anywhere. We're about to feed three suggestions right into your ears. Lower Decks, The Irishman, and The Orville. We're going to talk about all three. These segments are pulled from our live show, which we do every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Just a bunch of my friends, rotating cast, some OGs, and we just talk about TV shows. It's kind of like if you were at the bar with your friends and you're like, hey, guess what I watched? And then you talked about it for six minutes or so. That's exactly what Crossing the Streams is. So it's just in-depth and fun, and usually we go off on some tangents. That's it. All right, well, we're going to get things going. We're going to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks with our guest, Casey Ryan Plot. This is from episode 82. Take it away, Casey. Casey Ryan Plot's going to take us through Star Trek Lower Decks. This is uh, something I've always been interested in. Me and, too. Uh, so, howdy, y'all. So, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks can be found on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, that's where it's currently streaming. It is about to start its third season on uh, August 25th. So really love this show. If you're a fan of Star Trek, you're going to love this show. This show fits right in. Uh, the animation's hilarious. And they do callbacks to things that, like, you know, they have uh, Will Rikers on it. So characters mm. from previous seasons and series are all actually on this show. So it's fully endorsed, fully backed. They respect the heck out of it. And it's basically you're following this ship that goes behind the USS Enterprise. So if the Enterprise is the first ship that shows up in first contact and has all the adventures, this is the ship that shows up and is like, all right, here's your shipping stuff. Here's your clothes. Here's, you know, parts of the Federation <laughs> they're, they're They call it second contact and they just follow up everything. Like they have to clean <laughs> up when they have some big, terrible monster attack. They have to clean it up. They're the crew that goes in and grabs it <laughs> and then has to take it back to Earth to the Federation headquarters. Yeah, that's funny. But yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty good. Uh, you're fo- you wind up following the four ensigns who are basically the main characters. Uh, you have Mariner Beckett, played by Tawny Newsom, who's from Space Force. She's great. Brad Bradward is uh, a guy who's played by Jack Quaid. He's voiced uh, by who's oh, one okay. of the boys. Yeah, yeah, so he's fantastic. Uh, lots of lots of big names. One of them, uh, if you ever watched The Good Place, yeah, yeah, the I've guy. Okay, so the guy who's the best friend of Jason. The crazy guy in Jacksonville who always gets into trouble and they want okay, to kill sure, each other sure. a lot. Yeah, so he's the one who actually voices one of the other main characters. Jerry O'Connell's in it. Plays the, He's hilarious. So, uh, yeah, so basically you follow this crew around and they get into wacky hijinks. And it's tons of ridiculous callbacks to Star Trek. 
So mm. if you're a fan of Star Trek, you'll love it. Are Glass these red shirt guys? Yes. Okay. They're the red shirt lower decks who actually like they wind up interacting with the bridge crew a lot. Like Mariner, her mom is the captain. You're not really. That's kind of like this big secret they try to keep on the ship because she doesn't want special treatment. And uh, she basically is kind of adventurous. And whenever they go on away missions, she's taken off and leaving and getting into wacky stuff. All hijinks <laughs> ensue. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's a really fun show. Um, yeah, the animation style is hilarious. Jerry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. So um, it's but, canon, but they, because it's yes. cartoon, they can do pretty much anything because it's so easy sure. to get the voices. Exactly. They have characters die and come back, and there's always a mystery of, wait a minute, how did they come back? Like they try to, they ask all the questions because they play out all the tropes. So the yeah. bridge crew is playing out every single trope you're used to seeing. And then these lower deck characters are, you know, they're the ones who are cleaning up the messes and they're, they're caught in the messes all the time. It's, it's yeah. great. That's and great. it's all animated, all animated. Well, now is it, is it, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, is it, uh, like cells? Is it, is it the old Disney kind of animation? No, or no it? it's not the Disney cells. Okay. It's actually, it's, yeah, it's more of the, uh, almost family guy animation. Mm, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, cool. So. Every time Star Trek comes up and somebody talks about canon or something like this, it always reminds me, Jeff and I went to see Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. No, Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek VI. Undiscovered Country. Country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, in uh, a theater in college on a Friday night opening weekend, <laughs> it was packed. <laughs> this and, is uh, what you guys did with your Friday nights in college? <laughs> what? To, never mind. Go ahead. Should we have gotten <laughs> drunk and lost all our brain cells, Bob? This may have been later. We did that after the movie. <laughs> um, no, we went to see the movie and uh, we I had never experienced true Trekkies firsthand. Uh, <laughs> and we were sitting there and there's the scene toward the end of the movie where uh, Sulu shows up uh, with his ship he's captaining and yeah. they're trying to figure out where the peace talks are going to be held. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, they're going to be held at Camp Kittimer. And the two super Trekkies in front of us, like in unison, turned to each other and went, sight of the Kittimer massacre. And, and <laughs> Jeff and I looked at each other like, what the hell? Like, I, well, it was. That's where the Romulans went there and jacked I them know. all up. Yeah, exactly. Now I know. Now I know. So I think at it one point have, in time... It could have been were... Casey in front of us. Yeah, yeah. it might have been. That was my... You know, I obviously heard all the uh, Trekkie jokes and saw the uh, the two great Trekkie Saturday Night Live... Well, the one Trekkie, Shatner Saturday Night Live skit, and then the mm-hmm. other uh, Star Trek... Uh, rotating restaurant, which is one of my favorite. It's great. Being able to laugh at yourself is always fantastic. And that's really what this show does is it just brings all that out. So everything that you always laugh at, either, either being a fan or, you know, other people who, you know, mock you. And it's great. Whatever. I enjoy what I enjoy. It's fantastic. William so Shatner just came out and said that Gene Roddenberry would be spinning in his spinning grave. In his grave. Yep. Over these. Well, because um, Rod Roddenberry is at the helm and they over, never got over along. Over this show? So. Over Lower all Decks? Of all, all, all of them. Yeah. yeah. Discovery, everything, which, which is outrageous because I think they're fantastic. I think they're falling right in line Discovery. with all the original Star Trek. I love it. Yeah. Oh, you know, Shatner needs to hold on to his. uh, Well, Shatner's always upset about stuff, man. He's got to get some kind of spotlight, and by talking smack, it usually helps. All right. So, lower deck on Paramount Plus. All right. Casey Ryan plot approved. All right. Star Trek lower decks for all your animated Star Trek needs and a fun college story 
about Star Trek from Howard. <laughs> that was funny. All right, up next, we're going to discuss the Orville, keep the science fiction theme going. Peter Macon and BJ Tanner were guests on the podcast. Check out that if you need more Orville. But in the meantime, I'm going to take us through that. Mick Manhattan's going to lend me a hand, and we take it away now. I'm excited to talk about this one. This is the Orville. I'm a huge fan of this show. That's Star Trek. So the Orville is, I take it, have either of you watched the Orville? Yeah, I love that show. Okay, so you haven't watched it. All right, so the Orville is from the brain of Seth MacFarlane, Mm. this family guy, American dad, who I find to be one of the most brilliant people ever. Yes. And so what the Orville is, it takes place 400 years in the future, and it is a... Basically, it was it was originally meant to be kind of a parody homage to Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. So that's that's how it got its inspiration. I think he wanted to bring back Star Trek personally. And this was sort of what happened. It was one of the most viewed dramas uh, when it debuted since 2015. And it debuted on Fox in 2017. It had two seasons. There's only 36 total episodes of the Orville. They did the first two seasons and then they were going to move to Hulu and then COVID hit. I think this season actually finished filming in August of 2021. And, and, and uh, so anyway, so they go from there. The byline is an exploratory ship from Earth faces interstellar challenges 400 years in the future. The cast of the Orville is amazing. Like the way they all work together, they all have these specific types of personalities or quirks, but when they work together, it's like a masterpiece of just dialogue and I think communication and working together. So Seth MacFarlane is the captain, right? He's Captain Ed Mercer. Then there's uh, Adrian Palicki, who she was Mockingbird from agents of shield mm. and she was also trivia wonder woman in the failed wonder woman pilot that never saw the light of day uh then there's penny johnson who's the doctor St- scott grimes who you may remember from er and critters when he was just just a, a young tad a young tad young boy mm. peter macon uh lieutenant commander bordas he's sort of a klingon-ish type thing it's an all-male species i actually had peter macon on my podcast we talked a lot about the orville uh then there's thank you thank you and then you know there's mark jackson he plays isaac kind of a robot and then yafet is like this just basic goo and it's norm mcdonald so they have his voice for season three anyway there's a bunch of other bj tanner jessica zor uh plays the security officer chad coleman who was in the walking dead and many other things plays one of the uh one of the aliens as well so it's a, it's an amazing cast victor garber ted danson have reoccurring roles hmm. anyone who's ever worked with seth MacFarlane seems to show up at some point Liam neeson showed up sorry charlie slaren showed up once you know so this was the original season one set 400 years in the future the show follows the adventures of the orville a not so top of the line exploratory ship and earth's interstellar fleet Facing comic challenges from without, from without and within, this motley crew of space explorers will boldly go where no comedic drama has gone before. So the evolution of the Orville, season one, just to give you an idea, on Rotten Tomatoes got about 30% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Season two got 100%. 
And season three also right now ranks at 100%. Hmm. So it's one of those shows. Season one is still great. I enjoyed season one a lot, but they really got their footing on season two. And season three, which is the current season called New Horizon, which is the season three is a Hulu original called New Horizons versus season three, but it is season three. When I tell you, hands down, the Orville is the greatest Star Trek show ever made ever. In my opinion, okay. <laughs> the fact it came out the same time as Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, which is on Paramount Plus right now, and the Orville out Star Trek, Star Trek a thousand to one, a wow. thousand to one. Yeah. And when I tell you there are certain episodes of the Orville that after you watch them, you're like, I cannot believe I just watched something this good on television. I mean, it's like the best science fiction you know when you look back at like old star treks and stuff like that a lot of the best episodes were ones that you know like the ones with the black and white face and you know mm-hmm. that dealt with the social issues well seth mcfarland doesn't pull any punches with the topics that he's covering but things are a lot more digestible when they're done in a science fiction fashion it's not so hidden though but they deal with a lot of things like really really well, like for when you think of Seth MacFarlane, because I think originally people thought of this show as Family Guy in Space. And right. it's it's not that at all. Now, the interesting thing about season three, they changed the tone of the humor. Now, I hadn't watched season one and two for quite a while. And I just started watching season three. I watched it. It was great. I loved it. It was really great. And I thought the humor was it's very organic and real. And then I went because I was interviewing Peter. I went back and watched a few select episodes from one and two season one and two. And the humor is very different. It's very different. It's much more, I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's more not family guy-ish, but it's more like if we were all at a bar and it was just like you're funny. Like you know, like jokes are saying, like they're they're very clever. They're overtly clever. Does it do the family guy thing of flashbacks and, no, no, and no, cutaways no, no, and no, no family guy? It's, it's just you if you watch it, it'd be like your buddies at a bar being funny together. Yeah. And so it was like, but the series, it sort of as it found its footing through two and into three, it's become a serious drama. Like it's yeah. the, with some humor in it. So they've moved away from the, the humor the first, that the oh, first season, the pilots, the pilot episode and the second episode had a lot more McFarlane style jokes that we see in, in more of his famous shows. And then it kind of moves into like, cause episode, season one is when you have uh, the episode about the daughter having to have the sex change into the son, because that's the way of the people. Right, on the that planet, right, and that's a it's a very heavy show, a very big social issue, and yeah, they don't like you said they don't pull any punches, and and yeah, this is the most Star Trek show on TV today. I still say that, and actually, Seth MacFarlane went to CBS and pitched them this show as a Star Trek show to say, let's return to form, let's do it like Next Gen did it, but we can bring it up to date, and they like almost laughed him out of there, and it is, in my opinion, I know. Casey, Casey's the foremost authority on all things Star Trek. I don't know what he would say, but I say that this is a vastly better show than anything that they're putting out on the mm. on the actual Star Trek banner. I think so. Casey says Orville is the greatest Star Trek out there. Huge fan okay. of the show. Guess I'll have to rewatch. But now they did bring a lot of Star Trek people in. James L. Conway was the director. He did Next Gen, Deep Space Nine. Brandon Braga is a writer producer of next generation Voyager. He's written a lot of episodes of the Orville. So there's a lot uh, Jonathan Franks, uh, you know, Riker has directed a lot of the uh, episodes. So there's a lot of 
uh, root Star Trek built into this and like and people who are part of it from the old school. John Favreau, as as a point who we I know are a fan of on this show, actually directed the pilot of the Orville. Right. So which actually features Rob Lowe in a character that they bring back later. I think one of the brilliant things about this show is that how they introduce a topic or uh, an episode and they, they'll bring it back. They can thread it through. Like in season three, they're still dealing with, they just had one of the most powerful episodes I think I've ever seen on TV, which was a follow-up to the episode that Mick just talked about in, in season one. And, and so they just did a time travel episode with Scott Grimes. When I tell you it was one of the greatest I felt like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Like it was like, and like they, uh, the music, they use a 75 piece orchestra for every episode. They score it like a movie. I mean, it's beautiful. It really is. It's amazing. I have to check this out. Yeah. It's on Hulu, but I tell you, if you start watching it, you'll, uh, you'll love it. If you're binge watching it, you'll notice the humor tone much more distinctly from season two to season three, because you'll be, yeah, Fresh, you won't have had three years in between the seasons like like everyone else who's been watching it. But I think it gets better. I think it's better. It's a it's a sh- it's a it's a weird transition if you're just if it's like whoa what what just happened here. But one thing, uh, it's much better. Oh, sorry. Not no, one great. thing I was gonna say I really liked about this show compared to like the TNGs or DS9 stuff like that is a lot of those shows back in the day they they would like follow pop culture in a way where. One of them's like always constantly reading Sherlock Holmes or or Shakespeare, this, that, and the other thing. This, like, they're actually watching a movie on the deck. You know, they have movie nights, you know, where they're eating popcorn and where they Mm. listen to, like, new music and stuff like that. So, like, I feel like it really, like, if it's 400 years in the future, you're going to have stuff that we can identify with, not say, okay, listen, they all watch Red Sherlock Holmes. And I, I, listen, I like Sherlock Holmes, don't get me wrong, but... They have a real affinity for this, the culture from our, us, right, which is where they're from. They make so many references, like the... Adrian Palicki has the journey record on her wall, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because in an episode she sings a song in karaoke, Marvel space, hey, Marvel wants, space, man. What's up, buddy? He wants to know, he just rode the Gar- guardians of the galaxy ride in Epcot. Oh, you know, uh, Marvel space, man. I was in Epcot and the, and that ride was opening like four days later. So mm. I didn't get to do it. I saw the setup of it, the ship, you know, that's outside of it. It was, it looked really cool though. Nice. All right, thanks for helping me out with that one, Mick. Manhattan of the Scene Snobs. That was The Orville. Check that out on Hulu. I promise you will not be disappointed. All right, we got one more show to cover. The Irishman. I know this came out two years ago, but some of you might still be deciding or thinking about whether you should watch it again. And Howard's going to talk you right through that. Take it away, Roz. All right, so the next the next show we're going to talk about <laughs> is uh, we're going to whittle this down. So he's uh, not number one in Yemen. For the reasons. Irishman, the Irishman. Howard's going to yes. take us through. So obviously, uh, the movie's been out for two and a half years. It came out in two thousand late late two thousand nineteen. Howard started um, when it came out. He just finished it. I did. Yeah, <laughs> it's taken me. It's, I, I watched like two minutes every day since. So I just rewatched it. I couldn't sleep between the hours of twelve and three thirty one night last week, and I I rewatched it, and I forgot how really good the movie is. 
So The Irishman is, for those who haven't seen it, is a Netflix movie. It's a Scorsese movie starring Robert De Niro, <laughs> uh, Joe Pesci, who came out of retirement. To, they had to beg him to come out of retirement to be in this. And the only reason he came out is because it was Scorsese, De Niro, and Al Pacino. And that's really why he came out. It's it's based on a book by Charles Brandt called I Heard You Paint Houses, which I didn't even realize is they never refer the, the title block at the beginning says I Heard You Paint Houses to honor the title of the book. And it doesn't say The Irishman until the credits at the end of the movie. So they were very loyal to um, to the author of the book. Before I go into what it's about and a little bit more about it, to me, part of the major significance of this, and it may be just perceived significance and partially the timing of it being just months before the pandemic hit. But to me, a, a major significance of this movie is it felt like the first blockbuster caliber Hollywood movie that was made exclusively for streaming. And and I'm sure there's others that I'm forgetting, but to me, thinking back, it's the first one that I could pinpoint in my mind of a major director and major actors and a major movie that would have completely been released in theaters. Again, not pandemic-related films that had no choice because movie theaters were closed, but the first Hollywood blockbuster caliber movie that was made exclusively for streaming. I couldn't think of another one prior to that. And now, every month, we get movies of that caliber. So so I think it's that's a pretty significant thing that Scorsese made a 3 hour block 3 hour plus blockbuster solely for streaming. I thought that was really a, a significant part of the movie. So just uh, the plot is based again on this book and the the story is shot in flashbacks from um the main character, Sharon, who was uh, a mob hitman and became the right hand to Jimmy Hoffa. So it's shot in flashbacks of how he became involved and became a hitman for the mob, uh, how he grew within the structure, how he became a confidant to Jimmy Hoffa, how he became heavily involved in the Teamsters, and how in the end being more loyal to the mob, he was asked to be the one that did away with Jimmy Hoffa when he became a threat to the mob. Pacino plays Hoffa and he's, he's great. He's in between old school, quiet acting Al Pacino and modern hua, crazy over the top chewing scenery Al Pacino. So he's, he's sort of in between those two things. Uh, I think the there's a great relationship that develops between De Niro's character, uh, his daughter, who's played in her uh, adult years by Anna Paquin. And she has a real love of Hoffa as an uncle, uh, almost a second dad type fixture in her life. And and I think uh, Pacino does a really good job with that. Pesci is incredible. The, the secondary roles are just a, a whole host of character actors who I just love in everything they do. Bobby Cannavale is just amazing in everything. It, it reminded me that the first episode of the HBO series Vinyl, which only did the one season, was a two-hour episode directed by Scorsese, and Bobby Cannavale was the main character. That episode itself plays like a movie if you've never seen that. And you have HBO Max, like Casey Ryan Plot 
or uh, like Jerry, that episode itself is worth watching. Ray Romano, who's also in vinyl, uh, is great in, in this movie. Harvey Keitel. Jesse Plemons, who has become much bigger and was in Breaking Bad, amongst other things, and I think is one of the best young actors working today. He's not that young. Best one at young actors. And then another character that my wife, who's unbelievable at spotting things like this, we're, we were watching it, and uh, Welker White is her name, an actress. She plays Pacino's wife, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's wife in this. And my wife goes, pause it. The first scene she's in, I'm like, why? She goes, that's Lois. And I go, Who's Lois? She goes, Lois, the babysitter from Goodfellas. I go, there's no way 30 years later that you know that was Lois from Goodfellas. Sure enough, it was the babysitter who wouldn't leave, wouldn't <laughs> leave without her head. I'm like, how did you notice that? I don't know that she's been in anything in 30 years. But yeah, that was pretty amazing. So um, <laughs> it's long. There's no doubt about it. And it deserves a little bit of a beating. It also was... It was really roasted by uh, some articles after the fact that said that it was just like we talked about winning time. It was a they took some significant dramatic liberties with uh, some of the story. And uh, there were people that's that were going to say that it actually changes can change opinion of some of the folks involved. And and they were concerned about the, the reception it would have. But it's it's a very, very good movie in the vein of any solid Scorsese film. The caliber of acting is obviously superb with that cast of characters. Split it into two. Give yourself an intermission at the hour and a half mark. <laughs> I, I think there's, the yeah, one. I think there's things out there to tell you when, when to stop. The trivia I have for this is that Joe Pesci could have refused as many as 50 times. And also, so Marcus Red Fox is the last place that Jimmy Hoffa was seen, right. which is actually not too far from my house. It's, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. It's on Telegraph. It's where uh, Andiamo is now. But it was the Marcus Red Fox, which is in the in the movie. It was interesting. So I had Jack O'Halloran. He was uh, non in uh, the big uh, Krypton bad guy in Superman 1 and 2. And his father... Uh, part of Jack O'Halloran's story is his father was a mob boss in New York prior to like the big mob families that took over there. So he, if you go listen to that episode, when I tell you he talked about what really happened to Jimmy Hoffa, he said, this is not even close to what really happened. Because this, again, you got to remember the book was written by the lawyer, not by the guy. Right. So, but he's like, he's like, Jeff, why do you think he's buried anywhere? I'm like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, but then he also talks about the JFK assassination. I'm not saying right or anything, but I'm telling you, it's a fascinating <laughs> conversation. It's one of those where I'm like, I can't believe this is being recorded right now. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the Irishman. It was just, it was long. That would, they use that de-aging thing a lot uh, in yep. this one. That was also known a lot for that. They talked about um, that after Goodfellas, Scorsese and De Niro wanted to write another movie they wanted to write a movie together, not just create a movie with director and acting. It took them 30, almost 30 years to do that. They started production for this movie in 2007. And it just had so went through so many rewrites, script rewrites, and, you know, getting the film off the ground with uh, production companies. And they really started um, producing it 
in what 2015 or 14 and uh and that's when they really launched it and then they announced it that it was coming out at the oscars in february of 2019 right. uh was when they announced it it was um i had never seen the uh that uh, for the they did a two-day premiere and uh, marketing launch of the movie in New York, where they turned the streets into 1975. They rolled back the streets to, and they focused it basically on the day before Hoffa disappeared, uh, which would have been pretty cool to see. I don't, I don't remember seeing that at all. Again, a long movie, a really good movie, and I was surprised how much I liked it. The second time around, it's definitely a good movie, and I agree. You don't have to watch it all at once. You yeah, can kind of yeah. break it up. Just to give you an idea, just to put in perspective, it took 108 days to film The Irishman. It took 18 days to film Sharknado. So if you the, the <laughs> difference That's perspective, you know, you which say, was you 17 like, oh. days, 17 days too money. But you too just say like, what, what could out. 85 days do for you? That's 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 the answer <laughs> they, right there. They could have knocked it out with an iPhone. Howard, every time I every time I think of the Irishman, I think of Ricky Gervais just hammering it uh, and his monologue at the Golden uh, Globes yeah. about, oh, yeah. about how the movie was so long that Leo, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio's date was too old for him by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's the uh, uh, oh man! All right, that was the Irishman and a little plug for vinyl. So check both of those out. Those are Howard Rosner approved. All right, amazing recap episode for you. Star Trek Lower Decks, The Irishman, and The Orville. You got a lot of homework. So here's what I recommend. Go grab your favorite spot on the couch, grab the remote, cross your own streams, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Crossing the Streams. Visit us on YouTube for full episodes and catch us live every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now turn this off and go watch some TV. And don't forget to tell your family you'll be busy for a while.